and welcome to this new episode of So Tell Me, a podcast where I talk to people about their education experiences, get opinions on higher education, and talk to people about what information they think the world should know more about. I'm your host, Kim Wardle. Let's get into the episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast, a new guest, a new week, and we'll get straight in. So tell me, who are you and how do we know each other? My name is Lindy Harden, and we met while you were doing your um, student placement um, in our lab at NC State. We are a molecular epidemiology lab, and you were there for a year um, learning with us. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of nice because we both kind of started at the same time, so we were both learning as we went along. (laughs) We did. A a A lot of um, members of our lab, I believe, were kind of mm. starting, you know, at similar times. Um, I came from a varied background of different research, clinical research, mostly. Um, it, this was my my introduction, really, into the foray of benchtop research. I had worked with RPI in the past doing clinical studies and because of our our good relationship and stuff, he wanted to bring me on. And so I really just kind of started from the ground up learning molecular um, and microbiology techniques. Mm. And it's been a little over two years now, and I love it. I'm glad everybody should love microbiology because it's (laughs) the best thing ever. (laughs) Yeah, tell me how you like started off like end of high school. Where were you at and how did that like progress to where you are today? Sure. So I've always been interested in everything, um, for better or for (laughs) worse. I was never one of those kids that knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be everything. Yes. Um, And I still do, which is a struggle for me. But um, so I ended up going to, I didn't feel challenged at my hometown high school. So I looked at some different options and ended up applying to a few and ended up choosing a science and mathematics focused high school that I Mm. lived at and went to for the last years. Kind of thought I would be a scientist of some sort one day. Mm -hmm. Um, So growing up, I was always very science brain, math brain, but also very musically inclined. And so at this um, school of science and math, I actually got really big into their theater department and performance and Mm -hmm. on a whim, decided to audition at a um, state university nearby for a music scholarship and was awarded it. And so automatically I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be on Broadway. That's what you get. (laughs) And decided to pursue that for a few years and just wasn't really feeling fulfilled Mm. with that. Like I still love music, but it kind of kind of took the joy out of it, um, studying music. Right. not the same as just performing. So I actually took a year off um, and just to really soul search and, you know, try to figure out where Mm. my next move was. And all along, I was taking some online classes just to kind of stay in the game, some sciences. um, And I started working to make some money at a veterinary clinic, had always loved animals, was interested in it. And from there is really where my um, career journey began. I decided at that point, wanted to be a veterinarian, (laughs) but um, re-enrolled at NC State Mm -hmm. and was a biology major. 
um, wanted to get my foot in the door at their veterinary college. So had a lot of friends working there and was able to get a job working part-time at their blood bank, small animal blood mm. bank. So just like a human blood bank, we would have volunteer dogs and a colony of cats that live there come in for every other month blood donations. And then I also managed their pharmacology lab part-time, something that I had no previous knowledge in. <laughs> um, but it's good to know people. Networking yeah. is key. Um, and so, yeah, that's where it started. I started doing some lab animal research with the pharmacology um, professor, doing uh, pharmacokinetic studies with various mm -hmm. drugs and mostly cats and dogs, but some large animal as well. And then also running the blood bank. So I ended up moving a few years into that into running the entire blood bank and wow. became really interested in bloodborne diseases, vector-borne mm -hmm. um, diseases in particular. Yeah, did that for a few years and then was ready for my next challenge. Started looking at some other positions and they were forming a clinical studies core at the vet school, mm. um, trying to build up veterinary clinical trials because there really had not been great models of that in the United States in right. vet schools. Um, there was like maybe two other vet schools in the nation that had like oncology clinical trials, but we wanted to expand it to all different um, specialties. Mm, right. So that's where I went from there. And I did that for the next five years. And we really started kind of the, the model for having a like wide spectrum clinical wow. trials department. That's really cool. So what happened yeah. to your biology degree when that was going on so like how did it you you finished your degree I assume yeah so I finished my degree while I was working mm -hmm. um so I had thought I wanted to go to vet school mm -hmm. and after working at the vet school and I also worked in small animal practice for a while knowledge is a great thing but some you, you can't <laughs> unknow things yeah. and so when I when I first started working in veterinary medicine I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to work in a practice, work with cats and dogs for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. And then working at the vet school, you just see being in that field of academia, there's so many brilliant minds and stuff. And I'm like, well, this will never do. I'm not going to be satisfied going right. back to general practice. But I just wasn't sure what specialty I would be interested in at that point. Um, NC State was moving up in its ranks of the mm. you know, veterinary colleges. And so applying became extremely competitive. Yeah. Um, and while my, uh, on paper, I, I didn't look bad. I, I definitely was average. So I applied once, got waitlisted, ultimately did not get in that year. Mm. And I really had to decide at that point, do I keep applying until I get in locally? Right. Because um, for me, it was a big uh, financial decision as well yeah. to go out out of state it's going to cost you double or triple mm -hmm. um, what it would be in state and they also have you know colleges abroad but for me I ultimately decided not to pursue that financially and also because I, I wanted to specialize but I just didn't know where I would want to go so right. you know, I just was like let's just wait and see what door opens from there and again that's when clinical trials open so that was in a uh, um, the next step in my right. um, my veterinary and um, science career. 
And then after doing that for a while, I'd been at the vet school for about nine years at that point. I just was feeling a little stuck. I Mm. love our community, but I decided I would just look, we live in the research triangle Mm -hmm. park area. So there's big pharma and startups galore and everything. So I decided to go work in research triangle with a drug company and doing drug safety for veterinary drugs did that for a year and then moved over to the human sector. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was really good experience. It, you, you report directly to um, FDA mm. or USDA, depending on what the product is, but there, there's, you're kind of like a face in the crowd. Um, right. It's a very monotonous, repetitive procedure with that you know Mm. very regulatory you not necessarily I wasn't using my brain creatively yeah um, as I wanted to and I just didn't feel that sense of like I was making a difference yeah Um, so I did that for two years and I'm glad I did it I gained a lot of regulatory experience Mm. did some you know regulatory certifications and stuff oh nice um I missed I miss our veterinary community. I think yeah. we have a really collaborative, supportive campus. Yeah. And I wanted to go back there, but I knew I wouldn't go back just for any position. So I started <laughs> putting started putting feelers out, you know, within maybe six months, uh, this position opened up and it just sounded really exciting. Um, this program that I'm helping run, the Genome Tracker program, and so, you know, it was scary. It was unknown. Yeah. But I knew the PI that ran our lab had a good rapport and mm. seemed extremely supportive. And he was also delving into the world of global health, which yeah. was really, you know, really interesting to me. And I think as our world, you know, we're definitely a global world now with Mm. um, media and internet and as we've seen with this pandemic yes exactly (laughs) I mean honestly when this the pandemic happened I'm like I'm so glad Mm. I'm in a global health lab because so many people were worried about you know jobs and yeah uh, working for a state institution I am funded off of grant money, so it's a little nice in this situation. There's pros mm-hmm. and cons to the, yeah. the soft money, but um, yeah, definitely working for a global lab, I felt a bit more job security than some other um, yeah, places, and I think this pandemic has shown just the importance of global health in mm. our world. Yeah, totally, totally, because I mean, I always find it hard to describe who you are to me because when I say you're my boss it feels weird because you were kind of my (laughs) boss but also I like to pretend that I was the lab manager so so you can't be the lab manager as well (laughs) but do you mind talking a little bit about what what genome tracker is and its impact and stuff like that because it's actually a really interesting project so it is a um I think they still call it national, but it is an actual global now mm. level surveillance program to track foodborne bacteria for like outbreaks and stuff. So we have different state labs and now there's actually some global labs and people source samples from 
grocery stores, uh, manufacturing facilities, farms, environmental samples, anything really that's got, you know, foodborne relation to it. And we isolate various bacterias. Uh, we mostly work with E. coli, Salmonella, Campylobacter, and Listeria. Um, and then we perform whole genome sequencing on that. And then it goes into a national database where we can track in real time, you know, where these isolates are coming from, their uh, like genotypic relationships and stuff. And so the hope is that we can stop outbreaks before they become, you know, too bad or, mm -hmm. you know, like on the pandemic level yeah. um, and source where they're coming from and, you know, fix whatever was causing that. So. Yeah, ties in. And we can also heavily. see how these bacteria again are evolving and, you know. In yeah, right. Because it ties in quite heavily with like the global health aspect, looking at the environment, looking at, because it is mostly um, animal samples, right? It's not human as much. You don't do human anyway, but it's not as much. We do a little samples. bit of human. Um, we do some clinical samples with some like foodborne outbreak related mm things um uh yeah it's mostly animal and, and food animal and environmental yeah um related and then we're also we have the capability now of doing um antimicrobial resistance mm. um on these things as well and uploading that to these database as well so you know amr our antimicrobial resistance mm -hmm. is a huge thing um and so you know we need to know like how to treat these patients and stuff that, yeah. that, that come in contact with these things and so knowing their um what their resistance is and, mm. and stuff and not even just to bacteria now but to you know metals and i mm. mean it's just so widespread what these bacteria have the ability to form resistance to yeah yeah totally because i think that the animal environment aspect is always uh, or has historically always been overlooked because you know you treat the humans because they're the you know we're all humans so we're trying to protect ourselves from what we can get sick from but looking at the the animal and the environmental aspects really does highlight how sort of how much crossover there is oh yeah and in fact that's actually how i met our the pi of the lab so mm. i was doing a clinical trial working at events um animals that would come in with like gastrointestinal symptoms and stuff. Um, right. We wanted to see if they were afflicted with uh, like a bacterial overgrowth um, of, you know, salmonella and stuff. And then, so I spent two years following clients around getting informed consent. Can mm -hmm. I get a fecal sample from your animal? And I spent two years, you know, wiping up feces and collecting <laughs> uh, that. And then I would take it to, um, uh, the lab that I work in now and they would test them for you know, these uh, mm -hmm. well in this in this instance it was salmonella um, and then they were looking at a prevalence of animals that you know had salmonella overgrowth and yeah. crossover into humans yeah yeah yeah, I mean, we are in contact with our, especially during COVID, oh my gosh, there's no stray animals <laughs> or like left at the shelter anywhere, but yeah. I mean, we we live with our animals in, you know, a whole new mm. way now than we did, you know, hundreds, a hundred years ago and stuff. Yeah, I mean, totally. they're there, we treat them like family, we pick up their poop. 
Yeah, I mean, they kiss us on the faces. Yeah. We're like cutting up steak for them. And, yeah. You know, like, yeah. So there's definitely going to be a lot of crossover between what they're carrying, what we're carrying, who's giving what to whom. And I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen it with COVID. We've had a few cases of animals test um, positive in households. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. What would you say to people that did what I did? and kind of wanted to try out that lab experience because obviously you had experience in clinical trials we both came into the sort of benchtop lab experience at different stages would you have preferred to have got that benchtop experience at my level or like was it just as easy or beneficial you know to at your level I don't know I've thought about that before mm. because I think I think had I gotten it I mean, I had, you know, college labs and stuff, right, which I also, right. I always enjoyed, but at that time I was just really focused on, you know, I want to be a veterinarian. Yeah, like, just pass these modules. I, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then move on. Like I'm very extroverted and I love socialization. So for mm -hmm. me working in a clinical setting with patients and clients and stuff, um, at that moment it appealed to me and then mm. when I did that I was like I don't want to work with clients yeah. <laughs> anymore yeah we reached <laughs> that point we all reached that <laughs> so I think just at that stage in my life um you know I, I don't know if it would have shifted mm. my focus early on but I like having the broad experience with a, a little bit of knowledge and you know lab animal yeah clinical definitely and the bench top but at this stage of my life definitely working i mean the global health lab or the global health aspect still plays with my social extrovertedness mm. wanting to network and stuff but then i love that i can go into the bench top and you know do my experiments yeah. and have that time to and, and you made some changes to the previous lab managers protocols and things like you kind of worked to make things better you you managed to use your creative brain to improve definitely and so it was intimidating I will say I was, it was probably you know a year or so into the job because again I came in as you know someone a, a novice and I was right. just like and the previous manager had higher academic credentials than me and so mm -hmm. I just took everything as this is the way that it should be done right until i knew more uh, again knowledge is power and then right. i did start questioning things and i'm like why do we do it like this <laughs> there has got to be i mean i don't know the answer right now but mm. in talking with people and asking questions i'm like there has to be a better way to do this or right. there has to be yeah a different way to get better output from the way we're doing these things yeah, and um i've always been one of those people that I put on a brave face. I mean, I, I'm mostly self-confident, but I also, my mantra is always fake it till you make it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it just was one of those things that like, I'm going to ask questions um, and I may get shot down and told no. And why are you questioning the way that we've always done things? Right. But you know, that's not what happened at all. I was told well, you can do whatever you want to, as long as you validate everything that you're yeah. doing. I'm like, Oh, well, that's great. So cool. Then uh, I'm going to tear out this and this and this. And this. <laughs> yeah. And we're still, you know, doing that. I've just never been somebody that's okay. Just with 
going with the flow and yeah you know following yeah, the herd I, I want to work work smarter not harder right um yeah I think having me come into lab with my perspective has has benefited in that way yeah if you knew what you knew now would you follow the same path that you did I mean maybe not necessarily like would you still do music would you still then do a biology degree like would you still follow all the same steps I think so I felt really uh fulfilled in my career so far I've, I never get to a point and I'm like okay I've reached the end this is where I'm gonna be <laughs> right. forever right now I still have so much to learn and our lab is we're having a bit of a you know shift in mm. our focus of things going more from um, previous, like historically they, they did more field research and things like that. And now mm -hmm. bioinformatics, you know, and big data and stuff yeah, is where yeah. things are going. And so there's definitely a shift in that. And so I still got loads to learn. And so I'm excited for that. You know, academically, I would like to, I think you're just never too old to learn and, you know, do what it is you want to. And yeah. I'm still kind of searching for that next, that next move and what's going to help me just understand what I'm doing more and um, be able to grow my career. But, and then I also do, you know, some music on the side and stuff. So it really balances me mm -hmm. out. I, again, I've just got so many things I'm interested in. So just having my hand and and a lot of different <laughs> little pots works for me and helps keep me balanced. Yeah, totally. What would you say to knowing when it's time to change career or knowing when to change direction? Like what sense do you get that you know it's time to do that? When my days that I like, I say when my bad days outnumber my good days. Mm. So historically in all my jobs, when I find myself waking up and I'm like, oh God, I've got to go do this right. again. That's when I'm like, okay, you need to start looking for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now for, I mean, everybody has their, their grumbles and gripes with, mm. with work and stuff, but I don't have that at all right now. I'm still like, okay, this is going to be so scary and so challenging, but I have all these new things that I can learn and stuff um, mm -hmm. in my current career setting. So, yeah. 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 I think especially at a time when education is becoming more and more accessible obviously a lot of stuff is done online right now how do you go about picking so you you sort of had a, an idea that you wanted to be a scientist what would you say to someone who knows that they want to be a scientist but are not sure which branch or which place to start or anything like that I think it's really important to kind of like what you did but maybe not on like you know going across the Atlantic and staying <laughs> for a year, but, you know, reaching out to people, seeing what's out there and um, contacting people. And yeah, you might get shut down. You might not get anywhere mm -hmm. for a long time, but just constantly reaching out. And again, networking is key and finding these places that you can go and volunteer. And you just don't know until you you do these things and again that's probably why I shied away from benchtop research for a long time because I just had this false perception that it was slow and boring and I mean research is not just like you go into the lab and like Poof, boo, boo, boo. Because, <laughs> yeah um it's a lot of it's failure slow. 
it but, is slow, but it's, um, and there are days where I definitely would like leave defeated. Like, why am I doing this? Yeah. But then once you've rested and recouped and stuff, and then you start looking at it with fresh perspective, mm -hmm. like, oh, wow. I just learned so much from that failed experiences. Right. And, you know, eventually the dots start to connect and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I love that. It's it's very challenging. But, you know, when I, I see now, like the younger me, when I was like, I want to be a scientist, I think what it's always appealed me to science is there's endless questions that you right. can ask. And, and if you're not penalized for asking those questions either, like when no, you try you and can diverge. Ask, ask any question. And there's somebody out there that as long as you're brave mm. enough to you know, ask those questions and try to find people that are also interested in those things that will help you along the way. Like, I just think it's just such an interesting field to be yeah. in any of the sciences really. Mm -hmm. So what's your favorite thing that you learned before you did bench top? Like if you want to, you can choose which sections you break it down into, okay. but like favorite thing you've learned like pre bench top and post doing the bench top stuff. Well, that's a really good question. There's several ways I could answer it. One thing, so working with like the whole like animal and stuff, like mm -hmm. dogs and cats and stuff, you know, I never thought I would want to go from that to a, a bacteria, but I will say it's the compassion fatigue that I felt working with animals and mm -hmm. especially clinical trials. We worked with a lot of diseases that were terminal and stuff. Right, right. Um, I definitely hit a wall with that where I was just like, I can't take one more loss, one more yeah, sad yeah. case. And I think that was a, one place where I just, where I needed to leave mm. for a few years and then come back. I love bacteria because they just, they, they never, they never die. In fact, <laughs> you, when you, even when you want them to die, they will not die. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, they're just fun. They're just, um, they're always evolving. You know, one day I might think like, I've really got a hang of it. I know who you are. I know what you're mm -hmm. going to do phenotypically and stuff. And then the next day you come in and they've got a funny smell. So it's, yeah. <laughs> or a different color. It's acquired yeah, something yeah. from someone else in the environment right. and they just completely rock your world and they may make you cry and want to drink wine, but then, yeah. So they're just always, I mean, the way that they can evolve in days, whereas, you know, we take mm. lifetimes and millions of years yeah, to evolve exactly. as our species and stuff, and bacteria is just doing it in real time. And they're just having, really, they're just having a good time in that Petri dish. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and so that's your like post bench top. What about when you were in sort of high school to degree level? Like what was your favorite thing that you learned something that really impacted your journey hmm I'm not sure how to answer that mm. I, I guess I learned early on that just to always kind of keep my mind open and doors open because mm. things are just going like yeah I mean you know when you get discouraged and you like hit these walls it's like I don't know what you know so when I went to the high school that I went to there were so many brilliant people and I lost my confidence for a while because I was right. like, okay, now I'm not the leader 
of the right. pack, which actually was a very humbling experience for me that I needed at that age, mm. because I think at like 16, 17, 18, we all feel very invincible yeah. as we've seen with this pandemic <laughs> and, you know, college students and stuff yeah. and then colleges shutting back down and stuff. It was a really good experience for me at that time in my life to go and be cut down a mm. bit and just to be humbled at a young age, I learned mm. a lot and it took me a while to get that confidence back, but it was, that was a really good learning experience for me. Like it's okay not to be the best because there's always going to be somebody better than you. At right. Every Someone that does that more you. or does it better or. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it made me a better human being in the long run, just being like knowing my strengths, knowing my weaknesses and being okay with my weaknesses. Like sports have never been my thing, but Hey, if it's a team building thing, I will get out there and I will suck as much as I can <laughs> at whatever it is that we're trying to play. Yeah. And I will be your biggest cheerleader. I will motivate you until the end. Mm -hmm. um, but it's okay. Not being the best at everything. And I, I do remember like seeing that early on I think it hits home now differently looking at it you know I was right. learning it at the time and you you don't really know what to do with it at that young age at least yeah. I did it because no. I went from being the best to like meh <laughs> you know <laughs> but I guess what is like a sharp lesson in humility I guess when you're like oh actually yeah I need to look at myself um, a bit more I think a lot of our population could do from some <laughs> from some humility and just self-awareness, um, mm. self-reflection. Yeah. You're, you're very self-reflective. Like, I feel like that's oh, one of your super strengths. <laughs> what, what do you say to someone who's trying to learn to be more self-reflective? Like, cause obviously it's so important, especially when you're applying for positions or applying for placements or jobs or anything like that, you need to be able to look at yourself and tell yourself, what am I good at? What am I not good at? How, yeah. how do you become more self-reflective? Do you, would you say? I mean, for me, I think it's just kind of fortunately, I guess for me, it's just part of kind of who I, I am. Um, mm -hmm. But putting myself in, like, put uh, separating myself from everyone who looks like me, um, grew up the same way, similar value system and stuff that I did was probably the best thing that I could do in actually engaging in open conversation with people from mm. different cultures and different backgrounds and different values and stuff plants these little seeds that I would walk away with like mm, I don't really agree with you or I don't understand exactly what you're saying but then you walk away with right. it and you start to ponder on those things and I'm like oh I, I see what you're saying and it's a really interesting mm. thing so for me just I I really like get off on having conversations with people and just meeting people yeah. in order to become more self-reflective though you've got to challenge yourself and you've got to challenge your belief system you've got to make yourself uncomfortable you don't grow from living in comfortable bubbles and so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have that ability because it's scary um it's unknown and I mean believe me it's scary for me and I still like freeze sometimes I'm like no I'm just gonna get under the blanket and stay in bed <laughs> not today but I know that um, I want to use my time on this earth wisely. I want to mm. become the best version of myself and impact as many people and help as many people as possible. So 
just having those open conversations and really just allowing myself to be an open book to others and my experiences. Um, you never know what sharing your truths and what you've learned along the way, who it's going to impact. And I've seen it happen yeah, and people have done that for me. So um, you've just got to, you've just got to kind of take that step sometimes and challenge yourself and allow the mm. uncomfortable to happen. So you can become a better version of yourself. Yeah, totally. I, or not, I you can stay in your bubble and just stay the same way forever. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I think, I think trying to to tell yourself to know how far you need to push yourself to to get out in out of your comfort zone yeah. is really important as well. There's you've got to you've got to know where your limits lie. I think, but I think it's remembering that you may think you know a lot, but someone else with a different lived experience also thinks they know a lot. So it's kind of yeah. like stepping outside of yourself right getting yeah. the context of everybody else's life yeah you know and it, it's there's a lot of sensitive situations that come with that vulnerability mm. of putting yourself out there um and as long as you know hopefully you're engaging in conversation with people that know that like I never mean anything disrespectful or anything like that with people I really for me these conversations and they're just for me to learn. So if I say something in an incorrect way or something like correct mm. me, like help me learn from my mistakes, how to become a better person. But I think yeah. as a, as human beings, a lot of times we do, you know, we're our ways the right way. Yeah. And you're the one that's wrong and you're the one that's misguided. Mm. And it's hard. It's hard to challenge yourself. It's hard to challenge your beliefs. You know, we are put on this earth and however we're raised really in, in, impacts mm. how we think and to challenge that is it's difficult but yeah definitely especially when you're surrounded by people that think the same way as you yes yeah and now you know again living in this global world we've got so much propaganda and stuff mm. around us and media trying to shift it and you know just not falling into that that trap and yeah don't believe everything that's out there like if i hear something that I don't agree with instead of, you know, try to go straight to the source and, right. you know, ask directly instead of reading it somewhere on social media mm. or you know, Google, Dr. Google and stuff like just figure it out. <laughs> figure yeah, it out for I think that's actually an interesting point to touch on is sort of, especially <laughs> science, like academic misinformation and sort of scientific misinformation has become a big talking point recently. Do you have any tips for people who maybe are curious about something or they've seen something on Facebook or Instagram? Like, how would you recommend they find out a better source for something? Yeah, so this is something I've thought about a lot and talked mm -hmm. to a lot of people about because, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much misinformation about different things you know the coronavirus mm. um to i've definitely had days where i'm like what is what is this all for um <laughs> if i can't even trust you know what i'm reading on the cdc but I, I mean i do think you know nih cdc things like that those are really good sources that i go to for a lot of these things mm -hmm. um working in academia i've got um, a pretty easy connection to you know, a lot of, again, brilliant minds, or they can put me in touch with somebody. Mm. But with that said, I mean, 
some people in these specialty fields and stuff, they get tunnel vision and stuff as well. And so just because you go and talk with somebody with, you know, all these credentials behind their name, doesn't mean you have to also take that for face value. Mm -hmm. You can question that and you can go to other um, sources and read, you know, that's why we have peer reviewed, you know, journals, like make sure what you're, you're reading is, peer reviewed it's important and make sure you're getting it from reputable sources and journals um and you know don't be afraid to even question those people sometimes reach out to them and start mm. a conversation and you know hopefully if they care about it and what they're doing that they're open to these these questions and conversations yeah definitely so if anyone reads lindy's papers that she cited on you can email her at no i'm kidding <laughs> don't believe any of it don't believe it (laughs) it's all lie. so what was your biggest sort of obviously you had to completely learn how to do all the whole genome sequencing and all that kind of stuff which was traumatic and I've talked about it to (laughs) everybody I know because when I was trying to do it it was very difficult and very stressful but what was your biggest sort of turning point for working where you are now in the in the lab so yeah, I cried a lot and no, <laughs> no, but <laughs> I mean, it definitely, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't even, I, I, there was no overlap between the previous person running that program and me. Right. So it was just a lot of piecing together things and, um, you know, internet searches and stuff for how people are doing these different things and reaching out to various, um, you know, uh, regulatory authorities like the mm. FDA and stuff that are helping with this. So it just kind of took a lot of independent research on my part, figuring it out. Um, There's a lot of protocols out there. Luckily, this is not, I mean, this has been done before. So there is a lot um, out there. But I will say the first year that I went to the annual genome tracker meeting, I was very intimidated because there were people coming from different regulatory authorities and all these different state labs. And again, a a lot of people working in academia, I'm surrounded by by people that have, you know, all these letters behind their names. And Mm -hmm. so I have imposter syndrome a lot because I don't have that. But I have to remind myself just because I didn't take that path of getting all of this higher education doesn't mean that I don't have the potential there. And so Mm -hmm. it's a constant reminder for myself just this pep talk like it's okay you can still do it you have the ability yeah um so going to the genome tracker for the first time I had switched over to a new kit that they had um the company had just come out with and uh the genome tracker was like eventually we'll get to this point and I believe I I just I started using it earlier Mm -hmm. um than some of the other labs and so I was really curious when it came to that portion of the like agenda, like what the data was looking like for comparing mm. previous kits and everything. And I realized once they did the presentation, like I knew all this already when Woo-hoo. they did the, had the question and answer portion, like people were really lagging behind what my output was and how yeah. my numbers were looking. And, you know, these were people that had been in the, microbiology molecular field for their whole career and here I was this newbie one year in and I I I give a lot of it to my just questioning and Mm. yeah my creative brain and just I just always want to find 
answers and what's the best way to do something. And so I think that part of me helped. And, you know, when people were like, oh, we're only running 16 samples at a time. And I'm like, well, you're wasting so much output. And then, you know, when the senior scientist is up there on stage and he like is verbalizing what's in my head and he's like, Mm -hmm. you're wasting so much money by doing that. And I'm like, get those 96 well plates filled (laughs) I know I was like what are you doing so I remember sitting in that meeting and hearing all that and I'm like wow I'm really like leaps and I'm a scientist ahead of these people so yeah yeah, little things like that and you know so it makes all the blood sweat and tears worth it in the end so I guess to to round off what would your advice be to someone who has liked the sound of what you're doing wants to be a lab manager maybe is coming to uh, lab work like bench work later in life or is interested in clinical trials what advice would you give to, to someone who's trying to get into what you've been doing a few things. So like, I think I mentioned this earlier, you're never too old to recreate yourself, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do, just do it. Um, again, you got to fake it till you make it. <laughs> and you don't like, you've got to get used to rejection. Now that doesn't mean you just accept it and like move on hmm. your merry way. Like you're going to have hard days. You're going to hit a lot of walls. You're going to hit, have, you know, a lot of no's or no non-responses for reaching right. out to people. But, you know, if you, if you, for me, you know, I wasn't, again, quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. And once I recognized that and accepted that I'm not going to be one of those people that knows they want to be, you know, a world-renowned brain surgeon, right. then I was just allowed myself to have that openness and to really just um, work hard at what I'm doing, but never stop learning, never stop researching what's out there, reaching out to people. And Mm -hmm. at some point, something's gonna, you know, something's gonna click, a door is going to be open, somebody's going to respond to you, and you're going to have that opportunity. And you might learn from that opportunity, like, no, this is not at all what I want to do. I mean, I did Mm. that a few times with some different research. um, And I would go and shadow some people and it just was not challenging me just wasn't interesting me but I'm glad I have that knowledge now because I don't like to have those moments where I'm like well what if I had done that like you know you just gotta take a chance you're gonna make mistakes along the way but sometimes you're not and just um you know be vulnerable be courageous (laughs) do whatever you want to do honestly and have a good support system around you too I will say some of the jobs that I've fallen into, like taking that first pharmacology job at the vet school, the word pharmacology terrified me. Oh. Like I hated it. I, like I hated it. I was like, ugh. <laughs> um, and when I met with the PI, he was such this like brilliant yet humble man mm. that I was like, okay, he seems like he would be a really good boss. And I've learned along the way, have, working for someone that is supportive to me is is really more important than what it is that I'm doing at the end of the day because as long as you've got somebody that is supportive and wants you to succeed right um you can really do so much and you know that boss when I finally left he was sad that I was leaving but he gave me resounding you know references and that's actually where I am today every job that I've gotten is because they I mean yes I think I've got 
um, you know, some intelligence. You got some skills. (laughs) Some skills, but I really do think a lot of it comes from, you know, good references and yeah, and just having good networks. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad. Cliche, but no. I'm so glad someone's someone's saying just get your network together because I think it's so difficult to form a network, especially when you're just in university. It feels so weird to be networking, you know, like why, like making friends with people because I want job opportunities, you know. But yeah. sometimes knowing it's it's never a bad thing to know people and to reach out to people and just say, hey, I'm looking for this kind of job. You got any advice? I think. It was something that was not pressed upon me at a young age. It's really something mm. I've learned, you know, the older I've gotten, my guidance counselor didn't sit down and say, well, first of all, you've got to network. Like they never <laughs> yeah, say that. Never. It was just all like academics, academics, academics. Like you got to make all A's, you got to have a 4.0, you got to get to the mm-hmm. best college. And yeah, I mean, that stuff does matter, but I'm also living proof that you don't have to be the top of your class all the time and have all the letters to have a fulfilling career yeah you can still be very successful and enjoy your work I think that's important too but yeah thank you so much for thank you taking this time I hope I I talked enough I mean you always (laughs) talk enough Oh, but yeah, I just, I really appreciate you and also all the stuff you did for me while I was on placement because well, living we in America was you. scary. <laughs> we, I mean, you conquered it. You, you kind of, you kind of took America and you, you made her yours. So. Oh, 100%. I will. Yeah. I mean, whenever, like, there's been moments that I'm like feeling fearful about whatever. And I'm like, what would Kim do? No way. Oh Yeah. <laughs> we all I mean we were all we're all like just amazed by you but um you know if anybody listening to this has any questions about anything like Mm -hmm. I'm here to help you and put people in contact with people that might have Mm -hmm. answers to what they're they're searching for so yeah Lindy has some great connections and you always you always seem to know a million different people at any one event you'll know almost all the people (laughs) that I do so yes (laughs) but yes thank you so much Um, oh thank you so much for having me I appreciate it and that's it for this week everyone goodbye bye that was a really wonderful interview after a really awesome catch-up I am so glad that Lindy agreed to interview with me because she is a really awesome person and she is deadly serious about contacting her if you need any advice or help or putting in contact with somebody that she might know so i will leave her socials in the description if you really do need some help finding somebody that you know research wise or anything really then she's your go-to person i adore her i think she's awesome and i hope you enjoyed the interview as much as i did to round off, please check out my website, pleasehold4.squarespace.com, for other related bits and bobs. Uh, we have another podcast called Sparking Connections, which you might enjoy. It's where a friend and I try to describe our degree subject topics. So I teach microbiology, my friend teaches English literature, and we go back and forth about various topics. Uh, I also have a travel blog and a sort of experience writing blog for those that are interested if not 
free to suggest something that you would be interested in reading. I am all ears. The website's undergoing a bit of a renovation at the moment, um, so if you want to suggest any changes or any updates, there is an update page where you can leave comments and suggestions and so on. And I have all the usual social medias under please hold for. I think that's it for this week. Enjoy the episode and I'll speak to you in the next one.